Tonight we're going to be learning about Shemitah. This week is the double Parsha, Bahar, and the Chukotai. These are always read before Shavuos. And the two Parshas are connected because in Bechukotai, which is called the Tochacha, the uh, rebuke, and if we keep the Torah, we get blessings. If we don't get the Torah, we bring down upon ourselves not such good things. And in it, it, it talks about because we didn't keep the Shemitah years, we didn't keep the sabbatical years, we didn't give the land its due rest, so therefore you will end up going into exile and then the land will get its rest. So the two parshas are very connected. So let's start with the, the system that we've learned before. We've done this a number of times where we learn something in the parsha according to Pardas. Pshat, Ramaz, Jewish, and so. Very uh, organized, systematic, according to its simple meaning, its alluded to meaning, the allegorical, metaphorical meaning, and the deeper mystical meaning. We're going to learn this on Rashi's question in the first Pasuk. First Pasuk says, God spoke to Moshe on Mount Sinai saying, and then the, the, the laws of Shemitah are, are laid out. But there's something very, very unique about this parsha is that the way that this mitzvah is described is with all its details. We don't really have with any other mitzvah in the Torah. Mitzvot that are so important and we do every day or every week, sometimes there's just a couple of verses about them. Even Shabbos, which is repeated many times, the, the warning not to break Shabbos and the injunction to keep Shabbos is repeated many, many, many times. But, and we're told to rest many times. But there's only, uh, there's only really two things that we're actually told about Shabbos is not to uh, go out of your place it's called Tuchum Shabbat, out of the boundaries around a city or village, not to go outside of them, and not to make a fire. That's all the Torah tells us. <coughs> to fill in virtually nothing. In fact, it's from the written Torah, you can barely understand what it means to put totafot beinanecha, to put the between your, your eyes. Yeah, I didn't understand why, like, um, Hashem would want to leave so little detail on Shabbos because I always thought there was a concept that mitzvot that are done more frequently are more important or have a priority <coughs> over mitzvot which are done less frequently through through a year. And, and so, I would, and Dr. Shabbos seems very connected to Shemitah because the whole idea that we, the, our understanding of Shemitah is based on our understanding of Shabbos. So, I, like, does anyone explain why Shabbos has less uh, 
uh, instruction about it than Shemitah? Uh, I'd say these are these are mysteries. Okay. You know, love your neighbors yourself. Rabbi Akiva said, this is the big general principle of the whole Torah. There's only three words. After the Kamocha. And it doesn't tell us really anything more about it. And, and, and Rabbi Akiva said, this is the general principle of the entire Torah. And the famous story of Hillel trying to teach the Torah on one foot. And he, he put it in the negative, but it's still. <clears throat> These are... That's part of what we're going to discuss tonight is this idea that's, that's what makes Shemitah so different because most Torahs are like most mitzvot are like Shabbos we learn a, f- a few sentences sometimes a whole we'll call it a paragraph in English but a whole section right? but this is a whole parsha and basically one concept on the seventh year and, and the Yovel year and, and the Jubilee year. So that's Rashi's, Rashi's first, he has really two questions, which he presents as one question. Why does it say that God spoke to Moshe on Har Sinai in relationship to this mitzvah? doesn't say the other mitzvot that God said them at Mount Sinai. And our tradition is, is that Moshe learned the entire Torah at Sinai. He gave it over, over 40 years. But he basically learned the whole Torah at Sinai. But it doesn't say every other sentence that God was speaking to Moshe at Har Sinai. But here it does. So Rashi addresses this immediately. It's his first, his first question. And he answers by saying this. He says... He asks in, in surprise, he says, all the mitzvot were giving at, at Sinai. Why, why here? So he says like this, just like here, the mitzvah of Shemitah is given over in its general principles, its details, and even its finer points. Thus, all of the mitzvot were given to Moshe at Sinai with their general principles, their details, and their finer points. That's what Rashi says. A very, very important Rashi because the question that you asked, Moshe, is a, a classic question. Why is the Torah so terse about certain things that are so important and we, and we have to depend so much on the oral tradition? Rashi doesn't really totally address that, but what he says is why it says Har Sinai here, Mount Sinai, is that just like we're reading about this mitzvah, and it's laid out like very clearly in all of its details, we should know that all of the mitzvah were given over to Moshe like that, that which does not appear in the written Torah was given over orally. So what Rashi is explaining really is the basis of how Torah Shabal Peh and Torah Shabal the oral Torah and the written Torah work together. And that this mitzvah becomes the showcase of how that works. But if you notice in Rashi's explanation he actually doesn't 
totally answer the question. In other words, he, he, he explains that it says Bahar Sinai because that's how all the myths were given over. But what he doesn't answer, he doesn't really address, it's only alluded to, but what he doesn't uh, answer is why this mitzvah? Why wasn't it Shabbos? I think, I, think I, I intuit from your explanation that Shabbos is a lot easier to keep than Shemitah. Shemitah requires a lot more emunah. Ah. With Shabbos you can do very comfortably, you can enjoy it. With Shemitah you really need major emunah. Yeah, we're going to get to that. You're absolutely right. So it's a much harder yeah. one to do. Yeah, that's going to be part of the answer. But what we're going to try to answer, according to okay. Pardes, okay. is why this mitzvah of Shemitah, of the sabbatical year, is connected to Harsina. When in theory, it could have been any other mitzvah. In other words, any other mitzvah could, could, have, been, could, could have started with the same thing, that God spoke to Moshe at Harsinai and give, given over another mitzvah with its general principles, its details, and its finer points. And we could have learned the exact same thing. So we're learning that there must be a reason though why it's this mitzvah. That's what we're looking at here. Okay, so the simple understanding is really what Rashi says. In other words, the without getting into the deeper understanding of the connection, we're just understanding that uh, the fact that it says Harsinai by Shemitah the way Rashi explains it is his answer is is because of the, the general principles the details and the finer points that's why it says Harsinai to teach us that that's how all of the mitzvahs were given over so again it doesn't answer our question why this mitzvah but it does answer the question why there is a connection with Harsinai because Rashi is explaining that's how all the mitzvahs were given over. So that's what's called the pshat. That's the simple understanding of the connection. But now when we get into Remez, Jerush, and Sod, the, uh, the illusion and the allegory and the secret, then we'll start to understand why this mitzvah. So let's look at the Remez. Remez means the illusion. And we see that the structure of when the Torah was given on Shavuos at Mount Sinai, the structure leading up to it, meaning seven times seven weeks from the time that we left Egypt, and then the 50th day is Shavuos. This is the same structure as Shemitah, the seven sabbatical years and the yoga, the jubilee year. So this is a, an illusion, a remez, that there is an intrinsic connection. It's not like any other mitzvah. Okay, maybe we'll find other reasons, but here, structurally, everyone comments that these two cycles of time are very connected. We're going to be learning more about that later the deeper connection of sevens. But here's a beautiful illusion. Just like we count seven times seven weeks and then the 50th day is the giving of the Torah at Har Sinai. So too we count seven times seven years 
and the 50th year is the Jubilee year. And we have a beautiful connection to this because in Hebrew, Yovel, Jubilee, is very, very connected to the idea of freedom. In fact, as it says, when you declare the Yovel year, you, you blow the shofar, you declare freedom in your land. And the freedom is that all servants are freed, even those that wanted to stay forever are freed, and all land returns to its owners, which is a, 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 big, a big thing. That was the remez, the alluded to meaning is the coming to Mount Sinai is seven times seven weeks, and the 50th day, and coming to the Yovel is seven times seven years, and the 50th year. Okay. Now for the drasha, so, the, so the, there's two drashas here. So the first drash is that when we came to Har Sinai, that's when we came to the midbar of Sinai, to the desert, it says, Vayichan Sham Yisrael Negedahar. Israel camped there across from the mountain. Rashi points out, it should have said it in the plural, they camped in the plural. But it says it in the singular. So he said, this is to teach us, when they came to Sinai, they came, like one person with one heart. Very well-known and repeated Rashi. This becomes the uh, prerequisite of receiving the Torah, that we had to be on that level. <coughs> In other words, we couldn't merit to the type of revelation that was at Mount Sinai had we not been like one person with one heart. That created the, the vessel that could receive this light of the revelation of the, of the Ten Commandments and the revelation of God at Mount Sinai. And then we're told in the Midrash that anyone who was blind was healed, anyone who was deaf was healed, anyone who was uh, mute was healed. We're told that from the giving of the Torah, death could have been abolished, that the what's called the pollution of the snake Gan Eden in the Garden of Eden was done away with. Was all these different midrashim is that a new reality was being introduced to the world. It wasn't just the giving of the Ten Commandments. This was, to, this was a, we talked about a paradigm shift. This was a whole, what we'll call back to Eden, where death was abolished. People were healed. Uh, we were meant, Moshe was supposed to come down from the mountain. We were supposed to go into Eretz Yisrael, uh, build the temple. Moshe would have been Mashiach. All the nations of the world would have uh, been drawn like a magnet to Jerusalem and to the Mashiach and, and it would have been the Messianic age that's, that's what we're told it didn't work out that way because of the golden calf the golden calf is what let's say broke the spell so, so what does this have to do with Shemitah so very simply the Shemitah year is an attempt to recapture the Garden of Eden. How is that? 
on the verse where where it says when you come into the land you will rest the land and give it a Shabbat Lashem so Rashi says Shabbos for Hashem so Rashi says Lashem Hashem for the sake of God now listen carefully Kashem Shnemar B'Shabbat Bereshit as it says about the Shabbat of Bereshit what was the Shabbat of Bereshit? the Shabbat of Bereshit was supposed to be Adam and Hava were created on the sixth day we're told that had they waited until Shabbos they could have eaten from the eighth of Dat Tovarah from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and from the eighth of Chaim. so that first Shabbos when God sanctified the Shabbos and made it holy and created the cycle of seven that the sabbatical year follows that first Shabbos was supposed to be Gan Eden forever eternal Gan Eden so what Rashi is alluding to here is that the purpose of Shemitah is to try to fix what happened on the sixth day and recreate that first Shabbos so how is that done? So we already mentioned it that the fruits of the land are hefker, ownerless. Now this is an incredible. Again, we we don't have this concept in the world. We don't have this concept that all the produce of the land, even if it's grown by someone else, cannot be accessed during shemitah. Everyone could could access all of the produce. So this is again this is a paradigm shift if we can use our imagination like what kind of feeling it would cause just like you know I never thought about it this way but it just popped into my head just like on Purim we go around giving uh, packages of food and everyone is giving everyone else and like what a special feeling everyone is sharing and and so I'm thinking it's, it's, it's a little bit the same thing remember we have to understand that when the Torah is written it's, it's written for an agrarian society mm-hmm. and a, a, a farm lifestyle. lifestyle where even the people who lived in cities in their courtyards had, had trees and animals it just was that was it but I'm just guessing on a number like 90% of the, the Jews in Eretz Israel were living in what we'll call it farm-like circumstances and everyone had trees and everyone had animals and, and gardens and people were if you can imagine just sharing it was just like it's beautiful yeah um, loans were cancelled and people did not work the land it really was like a Shabbos atmosphere if everyone's living on a farm it's just like Yom Shishi in the afternoon it's just like everything stops and you're very aware aware of it especially especially in the city traffic stops the buses stop the the stores close so here no one is working the land you're allowed to pick the produce but you're not working the land so what are they doing? Learning learning Torah 
Hmm. We're told that that was one of the purposes. And in the Gemara, in the Gemara, this is a very real thing because it's very different than today. Virtually all of the sages worked. It's it's not like today where people get a, get salaries and and learn in kolel. I'm not I'm not making any moral ethical statement about that, but it's just known that there were certain sages who were very very wealthy but most of the sages worked and they had what was called Yachikala Yachikala was two months in the year people, not people, the sages got together and they devoted a whole month to learning it was Adar and Elo Adar and Elo were were called Yachikala were conventions conventions of, of, of sages and everyone got together discussed what they were learning Sakhalacha came out decisions came out a good part of the Talmud is, is records of those discussions and then people would go back to work and of course but, but they knew the whole Torah by heart so they were learning all the time but it was just a different thing so Shemitah came and there's nothing to work so people would learn Torah. All of this together creates a Gan Eden type of atmosphere. Just like Shabbos, just like after six days of work, how much we enjoy Shabbos and how different Shabbos is. So the Shemitah year was really different. It was like really a different year. Everyone was aware this is, this, we're in the middle of the Shemitah year. Of course, the whole thing of, uh, let's say, professors getting sabbaticals now most, most uh, professors they don't, they're not on vacation for a year but, but that year is usually for writing and research and so we're talking about you know, people who are serious about their profession or their, their field so they teach for, for six years and the seventh they have the, the leisure to do research and write and in fact most universities demand that they have to produce a certain amount of papers uh, for periodicals and journals and uh, so that's, that's when they have to do it so that's another connection between Har Sinai and Shemitah that both of them have in common this idea of recreating the Garden of Eden experience yeah in terms of connecting um Arsini to um, uh, to uh, the Shemitah. I'm not sure if I see a connection between the Shemitah, but I think I can make a connection between the Yovel and uh, and Harsina. because Harsina happened on Shavuot, right? And that was like the fifth, they were on the fiftieth level of purity at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And the Yovel happened on the on the fiftieth, um, like like the right after the Omer, mm-hmm. after forty nine days. Mm-hmm. They're both on like the fiftieth day. Is, is there a connection in that sense? After like forty nine days of the Omer and after forty nine levels or days of rising up to higher levels of period, is there somehow a connection in that regard? Absolutely. I so but you're adding a new point that this idea of the culmination. And that was after a seven times seven cycle there is a connection between this one beyond excuse me, Mount Sinai and the one beyond of the Yovo uh, what I was thinking to connect and here's a good place is that 
Once again, Yovel means freedom. We have the expression in the Torah, it says that the Torah was written Charut Alaluchot, engraved in the tablets. And so in the Gemara it says, don't read it engraved, don't read it Charut Elacherut, freedom in the tablets. In other words, where does true freedom come? from following the Torah. Okay, so this is a whole discussion in itself, but it's very paradoxical because on the surface we have to realize that from someone looking on the outside they're mystified by how we can claim free freedom or free choice when we're bound by so many laws and so many strictures. Someone looking from the outside says, this is the opposite of freedom. For me, freedom is I do what I want when I want. No one tells me what to do. In Western society, and I have enough money, no one can tell me what to do. I can make my, all my decisions. And then they look at the Torah, and they say, from the moment you get up to the moment you go to sleep, you are bound by thousands of of laws every day. How can you call that freedom? Yeah, and the, the spiritual freedom. That's what it says. Don't read it engraved on the look. Read it freedom. So, what is the freedom? This is a whole other discussion, really. But just in a nutshell, what is the freedom? From a Jewish point of view, freedom simply means I'm free from my lower animal instinctual, behavioristic levels of soul and I'm free to decide and to live from a higher consciousness. So from a, from a Torah point of view someone could have all the money in the world all the possessions in the world uh, bossing around people day and night and from a Jewish point of view if he's acting from his animal nature, from his hormones and his his gut emotions, he is a slave par excellence, par excellence. And really, from a Jewish point of view, it's hard to say this, but most people are slaves. Most people do not rise above their animal natures, and we all have this level. And in fact, we're not supposed to destroy our instincts or our behavioristic patterns. But as long as we're ruled by them and bound by them and make our decisions according to them, that is what's called a slave. And so the freedom is by keeping the Torah, what we're taught is that just like learning Gomorrah sharpens the mind, keeping the Torah gives us the possibility of true free will. Because without that, we don't really have free will. Okay, now for the second drasha regarding the connection between Shemitah and Har Sinai. And this is something, Moshe, that you said already. When, when trying to understand why this mitzvah, to give all of its general principles and details and finer points, is that this, this mitzvah is among the hardest in the whole Torah to keep. And it entails an incredibly high level of faith. 
because even though we, we painted a beautiful idealistic picture of Shemitah but when it comes to human nature and that's why in this parsha the, the Torah does something very unique the Torah itself poses a question and in the Torah it says and if you ask what will we eat during the seventh year is a reasonable question but yeah exactly because you can't eat for three ah, years exactly exactly that's why that's why the Torah understood that and it itself asked the question you know I mean this is a very unique thing the Torah recognizes that to leave your field fallow for a whole year for an agrarian society in a world, you know, before cars and trucks and before they realized that world village was actually good, also yeah, on right, a a, yeah, yeah, a world a global village, right, is like not so simple, not so simple. But people should realize first of all that people who did keep shita, it was like it was like Friday. What do you do on Friday? You make all of your preparations for Shabbos. Mm-hmm. You bake ahead, and you cook ahead, and you clean ahead, and you just, you just do everything ahead. Then when you come to Shabbat, you enjoy it. So in other words, in the sixth year, and I, I put a lot of uh, study into this uh, many, many years ago. If you know that Shemitah is coming, then you, you say, save up your olive oil, you dry your figs and your dates and you make your olives and you dry your fruit just like Yosef told Paro you put away a certain percentage not even in the sixth year already in the fourth or fifth year just like people go out on, on Wednesday shopping for Shabbos and I'll, I'll pick up something for Shabbos now you know people started putting things away and you know they, they pickled and they salted and they and of course during the year we have to understand also that um, other than, than wheat most of the agriculture were, were, were fruit and the fruits could be eaten during Shemitah you can eat the fruit you just again you can't make profit on it and you can't prevent other people from eating it but you can eat the fruit in fact the fruit is called Kadosh it's holy it's holy to eat the fruit of, of, of the Shemitah people would make their wine before people made their grape juice before all of these things they did before everyone had animals they had their milk and they made their cheese and all of that and they had animals to slaughter for meat so it's not like you know some people think well, what, what could they eat how could they possibly make it through the year just like some people can't conceive of not answering the phone for a whole day on Shabbos no it's really they can't conceive of it so other people how can you go a whole year but if it's planned they had people had had what to eat. Is the year after Shemitah that's the real problem? But, but they right, but they they kept that in mind also. I did mention that many of the vegetables of Eretz Israel could also be stored. Yeah, the onions are <coughs> even now they're stored for six months at a time. Apples are we're eating the stores are full of apples. I don't want to break anyone's illusion. Those are apples are from last August. Pumpkins and, and turnips and onions and carrots. All these things can be stored. Again, I'm not trying to minimize. That's what we started, that it took a tremendous amount of faith. A lot of people, 
right, didn't have that faith. Right? Even with all that we just said, that, that you can do it. If you think, but still, human nature is, how can I do it? I can't do it. Just like people who have businesses and like are even tempted to keep shop. It's like, how can I, I even think of closing my store in Jamas? I just, I, just, I just can't do it. Shemitah takes a tremendous amount of faith. And because of that, all of Am Yisrael, Litzarenu, n- never kept a, a whole Shemitah. That's the reason that's given in the next parsha is why we went into exile for 70 years. Is for the 70 Shemitahs that we didn't keep. So, not so simple. So what's his connection to Harsinai? So Harsinai also is called the epitome of faith. When we said, Na'asev Nishma, we will do and we will hear. That's considered, God said, who revealed my secret to my children? He said, this is a secret that the angels know. And, and, and then a verse is quoted that the angels do and then, and then they, they hear. And God said, who revealed this, this secret? And that's always brought in, in Jewish discussions as the, the model statement of faith. We will do and we will hear. So receiving the Torah took that level of faith they're keeping a Shemitah text. In other words, someone who really, really believes in Shabbos, like let's say all of the immigrants who came to America, so many of them were really traditional. They wanted to but, Yeah, but when push came to shove and they literally were, you know, immigrants trying to feed their families from day to day, and the way that American society was set up is if you didn't work on Shabbos, you don't have a job. And... People chucked it. But there were other people who didn't. There are other people that their, their belief system was so absolute is it wasn't a question. Now for the mystical connection between Harsinai and Shemitah, in the description of the giving of the Torah and Parshat Yitra, along with all of the ph- physical phenomena, the lightning, the thunder, the earth shaking, the shofar, there was a cloud over the top of Mount Sinai. There's actually three levels of cloud. And one of them, it, it says that the, the, the mountain was a shan kulo, was full of smoke. So in a beautiful Torah from Rav Ginsberg, Rav Ginsberg explains that, that this word, it was full of smoke, that the ayan of smoke stands for olam, world, meaning space, the shin of Ashan stands for Shana, meaning year or time. And the nun of Ashan is for Nefesh, which is soul. And these three levels is, is what is described in Sefer Yitzira for the dimensional composition of the world is Olam, Shana, and Nefesh. World, year, and soul. But it means space, time, and consciousness. And so therefore, according to this, uh, according to Sefi Yitzhira, even though Einstein revealed a fourth dimension, 
there's still a fifth dimension that is waiting to be revealed. And that's of consciousness. Science is actually revealing it because in quantum physics, the role that consciousness plays is becoming greater and greater in people's understanding of how the world works. In fact, quantum physics goes as far as to say is that until consciousness tries to establish the position of an electron, the electron could be here, there, or anywhere. There is no way to know. It's called, it's almost like a shan. It's in a, like an a electron cloud where it could be anywhere. But when consciousness wants to establish where the electron is, as, as way out as this sounds, but this is what quantum physics says, the electron is forced to choose a position. And once it chooses the position, that is what its position is. This is very, very, very close to the, let's call it the psychological concept that the world is the way we see the world. The world is the way we choose to experience the world. In other words, we walk into a hundred situations a day. hundred situations present themselves a day, if not more. And in each one of them, there is an infinite amount of ways that we can relate to that situation. There is no set way. We walk on to the bus and we see X and we can react in a hundred different ways. We get a phone call and we're told good uh, medium or bad news. But that doesn't determine how we're going to react to it. And so therefore the way we choose to react to it is like forcing reality, our reality, to adapt itself according to what we choose how to relate to something. That's the implications of what quantum physics is saying. So I'm only saying that to explain the... because we know about space and time. But this thing of nefesh... This is the fifth dimension. Uh, the way Arya Kaplan explains the Sefi Yitzhira is that each of the dimensions is three of space, one of time, and one of consciousness. So there's really five dimensions, and each one has two extremities. Mathematically, it has two extremities. So those are the ten spherot. The ten spherot are really a manifestation of the five dimensions in their full development. You have two extremities to each dimension. Why am I saying this? Because we're told that the experience at Sinai, the the way the Midrash explains it, uh, uh, is that God opened up the seven heavens. In other words, the experience at Sinai was a revelation of God that we haven't really experienced before or after. All of the dimensions merge. So that's how we understand Rashi's explanation that we saw the sounds of the shofar. 
So Rashi says, how can you see signs? So Rashi says that at Mount Sinai, we could see sounds, whereas you couldn't in another place. Now, as he said, there was something unique about that experience at Sinai that was all of the dimensions. It's called synesthesia. There's an actual word for it. When, when senses cross. We're told that God came down on Mount Sinai and Moshe went up to the mountain. So we're told that these levels, as God, as it were, came down the ladder, Moshe went up the ladder. In fact, it says that until Mount Sinai there was a spiritual law that God could only descend so far and man could only ascend so far. But at these two verses, when it says, and God came down to Mount Sinai and Moshe went up to the mountain, this spiritual law was nullified. Because what's the connection between this Ashan, these dimensions at Mount Sinai, and Shemitah? That's what we're trying to understand. So you're absolutely right. That, that is the connection. In other words, so there must be something about Shemitah that connects time, space, and soul. That's exactly where I was going. So what do we see? We see that the space of Shemitah is that we rest the land. We rest the physical land. The time of Shemitah is that it's a whole year. It's in time. It's a specific time for Shemitah. And the soul is that we experience the return to Eden and that we're now free to learn Torah which develops our nefesh so this is connected to, to, to Shabbos but Shabbos even though it's true because every Shabbos in a sense we're resting the land because we, we can't work the land on Shabbos but here it's a whole year in other words on Shabbos Working the land is one of many, many things that we don't do. But here the emphasis is on not working the land. That is the emphasis. So we have, just like at Mount Sinai, we have the merger of time, space, and soul. And that's what allowed us to have this revelation of God. So in Shemitah also, there is this merger of, of holiness, because God says it, that this is a Shabbat Lashem, the Shabbat Shabbaton. Shabbos is holy. So the, even the produce of the Shemitah is considered holy. Everything that we eat that is actually Shemitah food is like, just like we say, the covered Shabbos Kodesh, we should be saying the covered Shemitah Ta'oretz. I just made that up. But it's a good one. Eating an apple from Eretz Yisrael during Shemitah, you have to be careful. You can't even put the apple core in the garbage. You have to you have to wrap it in a special and put it in a in a, in a spe, you know, you can, ultimately you can throw it out, but you must wrap it first and you have to wait till it begins to disintegrate. And then you can throw it out. That's why they say that if uh, um, if you have a bottle of Shemitah wine, you're supposed to be careful not to waste a drop. Not supposed to waste a drop. It's holy it's holy. So for a whole year, it's the covered Shemitah to ours. Awesome.
Okay, so in, in the few minutes that we have left, I just want to give over one other idea, which is, um, it's really, a, it's a relatively simple idea, but it's, it's quite amazing. So all night we've been talking about the Shemitah. We've established that it's connected to Shabbos, which is seven, and, and also it's the Omer. So when you look carefully, we'll see that there are, there are seven cycles of time based on seven. I'll do this relatively quickly. Kind of people can fill in the connected dots themselves. This itself could be a subject of an entire class, but just explaining it in, in greater detail. But in a relatively quick fashion, first we have six days you work and seventh day you rest. This is what uh, Rashi quotes as Shabbat Bereshit. This is where God designates the, sh- the cycle of time of seven and makes it holy. That's the most important thing about Shabbat Bereshit is that God shows it and designates it to be holy. The first time the word holy appears in the Torah is by Shabbos. That becomes the major cycle of time that we'll see will be reproduced in bigger and bigger uh, segments. So the next one we have is weeks. We have seven in days. Seven in weeks is obvious. We're doing the Omer right now. And we're counting seven times seven weeks. In months, this is the one that people have less of a consciousness of. There is a cycle of seven months because in the Torah it's mentioned many, many, many times the cycle of the three, the three pilgrimage holidays Aliyah to Regal, Pesach, Shavuos and Sukkot mentioned many, many times and they all happen in the first seven months of the year. Pesach is in the first month Shavuos is in the third month and Sukkot is in the seventh month. And the other two holidays that are mentioned in the Torah, Rosh Hashanah and Yom, uh, actually three, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Shemini Yetzirah are also all in the seventh. So all of the holidays in the Torah happen in the seven months. And there's actually halachic ramifications to this cycle as far as making pledges. And if you say you're going to bring an offering to the temple, if you find a lost object, there's a cycle of the, the three pilgrimage holidays to pay that off. So it really is a cycle of time. The first seven is, 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 is one cycle. And then the fourth level is Shemitah. Six years you work and the seventh you rest. We'll see in a minute that Shemitah is the middle. What's the middle of seven? Four. Like it's, it's like if you looked at a menorah, you have three on each side. In the middle, the fourth one, whichever direction you start from, is the middle one. That's Shemitah. So the seven-year cycle becomes the consciousness between what we'll call the micro of weeks, days, and months, and the macro which will be now the fifth level is seven times seven years and then the yoga so that's a cycle you know 
there is one cycle of seven years but then there's another cycle of seven times seven years and culminating in the Jubilee the sixth level is the six thousand years that this stage of history will play itself out and the seventh is Messianic era that's the six and then most people say okay what else is there so Kabbalistically and it's alluded to by the Ramban a number of times uh, in the middle ages there were a number of uh, very important Kabbalistic sefers that wrote about this Ari Kaplan has written about this when we talk about 6,000 years and then a 7,000th year, that that becomes one Shemitah cycle of a much bigger cycle. This is written about um, Ramban uh, at least three times uh, uh, calls this uh, one of the great secrets of the Torah in relationship to the years of the world and another place he says that those who know about it good and those who don't good it's, it's this as well <clears throat> but he, he alludes that this was a secret handed down uh, there is a bigger Shemitah level now then it gets complicated because there are different opinions as to which Shemitah we're in now the which are we in the, the first cycle or the second or the, the, okay so the two two opinions that carry the most weight are either the second or the sixth so in other words according according to this the age of the universe is 49,000 years because everyone everyone who knows this idea so it's 49,000 years but what it says in the Gemara listen to this in the Gemara it says that the world will last for 6,000 years and the 7,000th it will be desolate there's a lot of different comments of what it means desolate and at that time God will, will rule alone so this is taken to mean uh, desolate means not destroyed but the world as, as we know it will not exist and the, especially the physical world the way we, we know it will not exist and only God will be exalted in that day and the Gemara continues by saying this is what it means Mizmoshir Liyoma Shabbos that just like Shabbos is six days you work and the seventh you rest so too history will have six thousand years and in the seventh you rest and excuse me, it's connected to Shemitah also. It says just like one out of seven years a servant goes free, so too in Shabbos, so too in, in the world for 6,000 years will, let's say, labor and the seventh will, will go free. But then when it introduced Shabbos, it says, and this is what it means Mizmor Shirli Yom HaShabbos a song for the day of Shabbos and this Gemara ends by saying which is connected to what it says 
a thousand years in your eyes are like one day. Rabbi Yitzchak of Akko points out that if a thousand years in God's eyes are like one of our days, so how long is a year in God's eyes? Three hundred sixty-five thousand years. Now, if this is a chesed that uh, Rabbi Aryeh Kaplan made, if the there are seven shemitahs based on thousands of years, and there's forty-nine thousand years, so he worked out a chesed that the world is. 14 or 15 billion years old. But again, there's a disagreement of what which Shemitah we're in. The Arizal says he doesn't agree with this. Which makes it a little bit problematic. He, no, no, he, he agrees with the idea of the, of, of the Shemitahs. But he says that these are in the spiritual dimension. They're not part of the physical reality. But not everyone agrees with the Arizal. It's like, it's very hard to buck the Arizal, right? I believe the same thing when we when it talks about the Gomorrah, that God created uh, 974 worlds and destroyed them. So the Arizal said also that these were not physical worlds. These were in the spiritual dimensions. But again, what, what that means exactly in the mirror image between physical and spiritual, that's, uh, that would be another discussion. So anyways, we'll end with a bracha. And the bracha is next year is Shemitah. And halavai, halavai, just like we hold Shabbos so dear and we experience it every week, halavai, we should come to the level that as a people in Eretz Yisrael, we could experience Shemitah the way it was, even practically, the way it was meant to, to, to be kept and all of the ramifications that we would have in the spiritual realm if we would keep it such. Halavai, we had a majority of Jews in Eretz Yisrael, which hopefully will swing the balance, bring Mashiach and the Sanhedrin, and peace in the world and return to Aden and that the land will get its its rest and we'll get to learn Torah and love our neighbors and be like God in Aden again. <laughs>